0: It's time to get inside the Giants huddle, huddle, up, huddle, up, huddle up. on Giants.com. Here we go. Here we go. In the Giants mobile app. Get them in there. Let's go. Part of the Giants podcast network. Welcome to the newest edition of the Giants huddle podcast. John Schmoke with you. Today's guest, Matt Medicharian, who runs the football outfit over at Sports Information Solutions. But first, I want to remind you that you can find the Giants huddle podcast and the Giants podcast network presented by Investors Bank at Giants.com slash podcast on the Giants mobile app and on all your favorite podcast platforms. And now we're joined by our guest. He is Matt Maticharian. Again, he is the head of the football operations side over at Sports Information Solutions. Their brand new draft guide, the SIS football rookie handbook. Look at the thickness, folks. This thing's serious. We'll talk about how you find it later on in the show. Uh, but Matt, a great book. It's one of the great resources that, that I like to look at every year for the draft. Tell the folks how you put it together and what your process is like combining your scouting background with also the analytics that you guys use over at SIS.
1: Yeah, thank you, John. I appreciate you asking that. Uh, really, um, everything comes back to the football. So my background, as you mentioned, is as a scout. And what you get in the SIS Football Rookie Handbook is a combination of everything from the scouting side, exactly as we did it in the NFL, along with kind of this new school analytics stuff that we're doing. So you get that for every player. So it starts off with the scouting report. Uh, my background is with the Saints, where we did an old school uh, round-based grading system. And then I spent time with the Browns where we use the Patriots way, which is more of a role-based grading system. What is this player going to be on our team? And what you get in, in the book is over the course of the year, as we're doing our whole uh, charting operation, which we're using on the analytics side of things, right? We're charting all the different things that are going on in each of these football games, 130 teams off the, uh, around the FBS, um, basically all of college football. As we're charting that, we're also going through scout school. So myself, Nathan Cooper, John Todd, the guys that helped run the football operation over at SIS, we teach every every week, we calibrate the scale every year, and we make sure that all of our scouts know what we're looking for specifically at every position, so that when we grade critical factors, positional factors, what's this quarterback's short, spot-on accuracy like? What is this running backs ability to break tackles like so that we're on the same page about every trait that we're grading. Uh, We build up this scout school process over 700 reports go into the book and he comes out with the 300 players that graded out the best based on our grading scale. And then, like I mentioned, side-by-side, you get all the analytical breakdowns, the stuff that really is our bread and butter at sports info solutions, what we're known for, what the teams pay us for, um, where you get all kinds of never before seen statistics that, that really help illuminate, not just, You know, a lot of NFL, a lot of football statistics, historically, yards, touchdowns, interceptions, they're very limited. You don't have anything on a lot of the players on the field. There's 22 guys out there. We get into all 22
0: guys and what their impact is on on the final score of the game. Yeah, and the information is really fantastic. Make sure you guys, again, go check it out. We'll talk about it more at the end of the show. So, Matt, I guess we should start here. The Giants, they've been very clear in in their offseason discussions with the media, Dave Gettleman, Joe Judge the need to add another big time playmaking weapon on offense. They had the 11th overall pick and it's a good draft to need that sort of player. And we'll start at wide receiver and then we'll slide Kyle Pitts into the mix too, because he's almost like a wide receiver. Right. But Absolutely. I thought the interesting thing about your ranking of these wide receiver prospects, is a little bit different. You do not have Jamar chase at the top. You have Jalen Waddle. Tell us why.
1: Yeah, you know, this is not a criticism of, of Jamar Chase one bit. We love <laughs> Jamar Chase. We've got an all-pro level grade on him, um, and uh, we forget about Devontae Smith, the number three receiver by our grading scale, who we also have a number one level starting receiver grade on. So it's not, it's not to, to say that these guys are, are uh, lesser prospects at all, but Jalen Waddell separates. He's the only receiver in the Football Rookie Handbook with a nine-grade as his positional grade for speed, for play speed, not just time speed, but how fast you play on the field. Um, He is absolutely ridiculous in terms of his play speed. And then on top of that, when you get into really the nitty gritty of how to play football, his ability to change speeds as a route runner is something that really caught our eye. So he's a guy that he'll come off the line. He'll kind of lull you to sleep a little bit, maybe with his first few steps off the line. But then right when you start to break down and right when you start to, to try to play up on him, that's when he changes speeds and can go by you. So, uh, you know, really just a scary player in that regard. Uh, you know, obviously the player that comes to mind when you talk about maybe a little bit undersized, freaky speed, can get in and out of break quicks. I think you know where I'm going. I don't want to say that he's going to be Tyreek Hill on the next level, but if he gets in the right system, in the right offense, stays healthy, all those sort of things – this is a player that was even more productive when he was on the field at the same time as Devonte Smith. So uh, just, it starts and ends with the speed and just speed kills. It, you absolutely can't do anything to plan for him. Um, he's going to command space in the defense, right? Football is a game where you got to, you got to play the entire field. The more of the field that you can, that you can attack, the more difficult you make the life on the defense. And he changes the dimensions of the field for you. So that's why he gets that, that top level grade. But Whew, I don't want to sleep on Jamar Chase one bit. We absolutely love Jamar Chase. You talk about a contested catch guy. You talk about a well-rounded receiver, uh, a player who was on the same team as Justin Jefferson, the best rookie receiver in the NFL last year, and was a better player on the same team as him two years ago at LSU. So I mean that's what we're talking about there. So uh, do not do not sleep on him at all. It is just it's a credit to uh, the upside that Jalen Waddle has.
0: You know it's funny, and this is not to mean to sound like a criticism of Jamar Chase, and it, some people might take it that way. You shouldn't. It's funny you watch him on tape. He's not the biggest guy, right? He's not six four. He plays bigger than his size, which is probably going to be six one when they when they measure him. Um, he doesn't have the best breakaway speed like Jalen Waddle. He's not the best separator in and out of his break, but he can win in every conceivable way a receiver needs to. Matt, and that isn't something you see that's very common these days, right? Absolutely. So the uh, I, I'm glad
1: you said that because the entire premise of our grading scale for all positions, but for receivers, it's, it becomes a really critical thing is what's your ability to play both on the inside and on the outside? What's your ability to play multiple positions to be versatile? And so when you look at a receiver that's limited to being an only slot type player, somebody that that's not going to be able, that's going to have a hard time getting off of press coverage, stuff like that, that you're going to want to uh, kind of create opportunities for that player, even if they can be an explosive, productive player, they're going to get naturally dinged bing- by our grading scale. And uh, Jamar Chase, you're absolutely right to point out his versatility, his ability to play on the inside, on the outside, his ability to command all three levels of the field in terms of you can throw him a bubble screen and he's going to break two tackles and, and go pick up 40 yards and break a big one, or you throw the contested fade route on a back shoulder He's who do you want above him to, to go after a back shoulder, 50, 50, or when, when they start to press too, too closely upon him, he can go and take, take off and, and be a threat down the field. Not because he's got that four, three speed, but because if he's in a one-on-one with a poor corner, that's got to go for a one-on-one ball with him down the field. If you've got any sort of a, a quarterback that can put the ball on him uh, you know, we we've seen, we've seen what that can do. So uh, the versatility and the ability to uh, affect multiple levels and fulfill multiple roles for the offense, that's inherent to what makes you a good player. Uh, it's, it's a very Belichickian way of thinking about things, and I'm open about it. We're very influenced by a Belichickian way of thinking about things. He's, he's kind of smart.
0: Um, so <laughs> good call, by the, the way. Good move. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Devontae Smith, you know, his, his big criticism – is for people that have dinged him is his size right you guys have they haven't had the pro day yet for Alabama so people think you know 175 or somewhere in that area there aren't that many receivers that have played at that weight but man I gotta be honest I went through a lot of his tape and that doesn't show up you see the the, the thin frame and all that but you don't see it really having a negative impact on him as a player if he's sitting there for the Giants at 11 can he be that X-level wide receiver that can complement a Sterling Shepard in the slot. Slayton has a deep threat that can, much like you said with Jamar Chase, win at all levels of the defense.
1: Yep, absolutely. I think he's a, I think he's a number one receiver. I love him with Slayton. I think Slayton's an underrated player in this league. I think he's he's an absolutely outstanding receiver, and I think they would be a great complement. What you get with Devontae Smith is just smooth, smooth, smooth. Everything he does, he does with ease. And it's, it's, a, it's an underrated thing that you don't necessarily think about as a, a football fan. I think a lot of football fans watch and they say, OK, what was the production? But when you see the ease with which Devontae Smith won against top level college football competition, that, that means something from a scouting perspective. Uh, I, don't, I can't think of any receivers that have come out recently who I feel better about their hands Devonte Smith, I mean, like, so you can go back. I don't know, is am I allowed to talk about Odell Beckham on a, on a giant? Of course, podcast? you are, yes. <laughs> um, you know, going back though, you know, it, it, it's kind of on that that level in terms of what he is with his hands. Not to say that he won't drop passes, it happens to everybody, but he has the ability to really make special catches every time there's a 50 50 ball. You, you don't want you don't like the chances of that defender. I don't care how big or small Devontae Smith is. Yes, it's a bit of a concern, the frailty aspect of it, really. Um, Anytime you've got a guy that, um, number one, you've got to deal with press coverage in the NFL in a way that you don't in college, because press coverage is more difficult, we see less press coverage in college than we do in the NFL, right? You get higher level talent, you get more press coverage. So that's something that's going to have to be an adjustment, somebody that he's something he's going to have to deal with. But uh, yeah, I'd bet on him. I think he's a number one all day long. Um, And I mean, I was just looking up some of the stats because crazy numbers on him. We have something called total points rating this year. You probably remember from last year, we had total points. It's kind of our, our total player value stat on the analytics side, which basically says take all the things you did into context, the yards, the touchdowns, the bad plays, the drop passes, how open you got, all that kind of stuff and fit it into one number Well, this year we put it on a on a rating basis so you get it a 50 is as bad as you get and a 99 is as good as you get so it's like uh you know i got a 50 on my test in math and you got a 99 uh, as i'm sure you always did in in high school Uh, you can tell who the best and the worst is it's also like a madden rating a little bit you know a 99 is that top player and 80 you're talking about a pretty good player once you get into the 70s you're pretty mediocre Uh, we put total points rating on that scale each of the last two seasons, Devontae Smith put up a 99 for total points rating. Now, we, we have a few total points rating 99s this year. This is a special, special receiver class. Um, but two straight seasons of that kind of production where uh, across all of the receivers in FBS and NCAA, he is on, on, on
0: that sort of a 99 percentile level. And that would also be comparable to kind of like the WAR statistic in baseball, right? Where you kind of try to put everything into one thing. Yes, absolutely.
1: Uh, we actually have a war statistic at sports info solutions that just exists on the NFL level right now, but that literally takes, um, our total points formula and it strips out the replacement level value, right? You can have, you know, all quarterbacks are going to be responsible for more points than all running backs or all offensive linemen or linebackers, but how many points above replacement are they worth is that question.
0: And, uh, yeah, you can bet right now with free agency going on. That's that's being used a lot these days. All right, now let's slide Kyle Pitts into the mix here. And this might Ooh. seem crazy to people that haven't watched him. You know, we talked about how this is, you know, you have three number one all-pro graded wide receivers. But Kyle Pitts might be better than all three of them, right?
1: He is just ridiculous. You know, people love to talk about positional value because it's really easy to wrap your head around, right? We're talking about what my team needs are. Everybody loves to talk about team needs. You know me, I'm one of these guys that hates team needs. I'm all about best player available. Um, but it's easy to think about and it's easy to think, ooh, we need a wide receiver. Let's go look at the wide receiver board. It's also easy to think, oh, well, tight ends, that doesn't seem to be a position that, that uh, you know, when I read about it on the internet, people talk about as being a valuable position. Everybody talks about quarterbacks, wide receiver, left tackle, cornerback, defensive end. Kyle Pitts is different um we've got that 7.1 grade on him an easy all pro level grade um and if you want to consider him a wide receiver if it makes you easier to think about him as a big wide receiver i mean what do you think about sterling Shepard? as right is he a wide receiver is he a tight end I, I i don't even i think when he came out he was considered a tight end right you mean ingram right you mean evan evan Ingram? Evan i'm yeah. sorry evan ingram yep. um i i can flip the two in my mind um right but evan ingram Does he ever line up as a tight end? Really? It's so rare that you see it. Kyle Pitts will actually do that. He's got the size and he can line up in there, but he's just absolutely special as a receiver. Um, When you looked at the Florida offense this year, there's a good argument that he made Kyle Trask a prospect. I'm not trying to say that. I I don't, I don't want to say that that uh, Trask can't play at all. He's our sixth ranked quarterback in the book, certainly a drop off after the top five guys at quarterback, but, When you look at his performance when Kyle Pitts was playing versus when Pitts wasn't playing, uh, you kind of extrapolate that to Daniel Jones. It's
0: awfully enticing. Very interesting. All right. Now let's, once we get past that top group here, let's say there's a chance, by the way, that all four guys aren't there when the Giants pick at 11, right? And they say, oh boy, we got to pick the best player available to your point. Let's wait on wide receiver. We'll wait to the second round. If you're looking for a guy that can complement a Slayton and a Sterling Shepard, maybe a bigger guy that can play X, get make those contested catches. Who should the Giants be looking at in round number two when they select the number forty-two?
1: Uh, that's interesting. There are a few guys that, that we would put in that range. So, um, I'm I'm peeking at the football rookie handbook right now. Um, Rashad Bateman, Bateman, Tylen Wallace, Sage Surratt. Those are all guys that you don't hear as much love for, certainly as those top three guys that uh, if any of those three are available, they could all fill that role that you're talking about quite specifically. Um, that, that six, seven grade range is an indicator that they can play inside. They can play outside. Um, we really like those guys, specifically Bateman. I think he'll probably be gone at that point, but he's special. Um, Dwayne Eskridge is a guy that um, I would think about again. I don't know if he fits that X role that you're looking for in terms of what you're asking for. I think he's more of a slot, but um, Man, you know, in a – in a, if you can't get either of those three guys that I'm talking about in the second round, I think you
0: might want to wait and actually hang out a little bit longer Mm -hmm. and take advantage of the depth in this receiver class. So you don't think the guy – once you get past that first group of five or so, you don't think there's going to be that much of a difference between the receiver you get at, say, 45 versus the receiver you get at around, like, 75? If there's one thing I learned from my time in the NFL – it's that there, there rarely is um, when you look at
1: receivers and running backs specifically, those are two positions that um, they exist is the best way I can think of to put it. Um, we talked about war a minute ago. That's value over replacement. The replacement level is higher for those positions by the replacement being higher then the value above replacement becomes more difficult. So part of the reason why these, these top receivers are graded so highly, the three receivers, the one tight end is because these guys are real replacement level changers, right? Think about Stefan Diggs going to the bills and all of a sudden turning their number one receiver into their number two receiver, their number two receiver coming into the three receiver. And then, oh yeah, we're going to add Gabriel Davis to the mix. That's what you're talking about when you add those sorts of players. Once you get out of those three guys, I mentioned three names for you at, at, that I think are are complementary, can be starter, every down level players. After that, you get into the pick and choose. Some guys are slots. Some guys are going to be better on the outside. Um, one name that comes to mind is, as uh, more of a, a, a probably outside type player that I was looking at was Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, he's an interesting player out of UNC uh, USC. Um, I don't know if he fits the exact possession style role, but, but, um, uh, you look, you look throughout the draft and just, we talk about a vertical grading scale. So this guy is a top graded player. These guys are middle graded players. These guys are low, but a horizontal grading scale incorporates where's the quarterback board, where's the wide receiver board, where's the offensive tackle, the defensive tackle. And when you look across all those levels, every position thins out faster than running back and wide receiver. So that's why I'm, I'm, a, I'm more a proponent of if you're not getting a real difference
0: maker, then it might make more sense to wait and focus on those other positions. Yeah. And final I think final question guys, on the wide receivers. I'm sorry, Matt, I didn't interrupt you. Final question on the wide receivers. You mentioned you got a huge group in that kind of like number three wide receiver group. One guy in, sp- in particular, I want to ask you about in that group is Terrace Marshall at LSU because if you put, you know, the ingredients into a wide receiver machine. It'll pop out somebody that probably looks a lot like Terrace Marshall. What are his limitations that you think takes him out of that second tier that you talked about where you're not so comfortable with him as a three down, every down number one or number two wide receiver starter?
1: Yeah. I mean, you look at him, the physical tools are amazing size, play speed, catch radius, Um, a guy that can make catches outside of his frame all over the place, all that kind of stuff. Um, What I get concerned about is kind of, it's a little bit raw right now. Um, You don't see everything coming together in terms of the high level production, like we're talking about with some of those other receivers. Receiver these days, it's become a thing where in college football, you better be able to demonstrate that you're going to be a difference maker that actually shows the difference making talent on the field before we're going to buy in on that uh, uh, all the way. So I think a little bit of what you saw was scheming him open um, and kind of him being a guy that's either he's going to run vertically straight down the field where there's not a lot of like shiftiness in his route tree as far as being able to do different things. But um, in terms of upside, I I agree with you because size, speed, hands sign me up, right? So it it becomes incumbent on on the team having a really good vision for him um, and fitting him in. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be somebody that you're going to want to play on the inside. I I
0: think he's probably an outside only prospect. All right, let's do a couple of reads here quick, Matt. Limited Giants and Seasons tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Giant fans, get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants-branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to 250 bucks when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants member FDIC. And finally, don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giant games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Once again, it's 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. All right, Matt, let's move over to the offensive line here. And folks, just so you understand, Matt and I are recording this at the end of the week Prior to the start of free agency, we basically just found out the Giants let go of Kevin Zeitler. Um, I didn't want to do a free agency podcast at the start of free agency on Monday, but frankly, things can change hour to hour. And by the time the podcast is up, you're going to have something new happen. So uh, we figured do draft to start the week. But Matt, now the Giants might be in the need of an offensive lineman here. Uh, they got a lot of young guys from last year. Shane Lemieux, Matt Pert, Andrew Thomas. Nick Gates was really a first year center playing that position. So maybe they want to add another offensive lineman for competition or a starter. You guys have Penny Sewell as one of your highest graded players in this draft class. Uh, Odds are, and you can stop me really quickly. You don't think he's making it to 11 where the giants are picking, right?
1: No, I don't think,
0: I don't think you got a chance at him at 11. I'd be shocked. Okay. So let's move past him. Then let's go to the next guy. That's Rashawn Slater. And you, you watch his tape from, from 2019 it looks impressive. His arms measured at 33 inches exactly. A little bit short for a tackle, but you guys do think he can play that position, right? Is he a guy that really, just from a grading talent perspective, could be an option for the Giants at 11th overall? Uh,
1: yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, that's probably where he fits in right around that range of the draft. Rashawn Slater is a really interesting prospect because you're talking about a guy that, that has uh, the physical traits that you look for but also really a good athlete, really somebody that um, has that sort of dancing bear persona um, that you look for somebody who plays intelligently, takes good angles. Um, He's got strong hands, strong upper body so that he can control other players. You see the ability to flex the flexibility in his lower body. Uh, I think that's a big part of what his game is. Um, Not the prototypical left tackle arm length, Anthony Munoz, whatever you want to talk about as far as that goes, but you know, I know Andrew Thomas had his ups and downs throughout the year last year, but we absolutely loved Andrew Thomas coming out. And I think as the year went on, he started to settle in a little bit. For sure. Um, I think if you got a Rashawn Slater in here to compliment him at a right tackle, now you're talking about bookends. You know, you're talking about 10-year bookends and really having – uh, uh, setting yourself up well. So I would love him with that pick there. I know I talked about those four receivers, but I think, uh you know, your sense that he could be an interesting player there
0: for the Giants is absolutely right. And even if Matt Parrot hits at right tackle, right? And he he hits his ceiling, all his, everything works out. Then all of a sudden you're staring at probably an all pro guard with Slater it's right? If you move him inside.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you've got positional versatility. I think we, with, um, with, with Slater, you look at somebody who, Uh, you could make an argument that he fits better on the inside. Uh, I don't think I'm the person that I would personally say that. I think I'd want his athleticism on the outside, but you know, the arm length becomes less of an issue the more you move inside. And he's, he seems, he's kind of one of these five position offensive linemen. Uh, Pugh who the giants drafted a few years ago, several years ago, was probably a guy that fit better on the inside than the outside, even though he was, he was drafted with a vision to play tackle. Um, it could be similar in that regard
0: because similar traits in, in terms of the athleticism, but maybe the lack of length there. Um, I wouldn't rule it out one bit. See, I love it when, when scouts have different opinions on guys and and it shows that you guys are doing your own work and doing a different type of work because you come to different conclusions. And this next group of tackles after those two, I find it really interesting because you have a couple guys that some people have graded as, the next group of tackles, you think they're guards. Guys like Tevin Jenkins and Alex Leatherwood, even Deontay Smith, a lot of people think there's a tackle. You guys have him as a guard. Just take me through that next group of offensive linemen if the Giants do want to try to snag someone at around that spot at 42 in the second round.
1: Right. So uh, you mentioned a few of those guys, and uh, Leatherwood in particular was a guy that we went back and forth on. Um, he, he has, he's a guy that's played tackle. Uh, for Alabama so it's it's an easier projection to say what is the guy played and what's he going to be but when you look at the athletic traits you look at some of the senior bowl performance going against some of the best players in the best competition and there was there was pretty good cause for concern when it came to can this guy be an ideal starter on the outside on the NFL level and what we came to in, in that regard was that He's probably not ideally suited to be a starting level tackle in the NFL, but absolutely you kick him inside to guard. And we do think that he's got that starting level ability. So um, the traits that you look for, you know, sometimes people just say, does he have the length or does he not have the length? And they'll group in these guys based on if they're long and athletic, put him at tackle. If they're a little bit stockier, right, more of the road grader type, we're going to move them inside to guard. It's not that simple. It takes a special kind of athlete to play on the inside because things move faster in there. But that actually, when you look at Leatherwood is where I think he, he projects well. I think when he gets outside into those wide spaces, you start to see his physical limitations show up. The mental processing is really there when you look at a Leatherwood. So I think uh, the ability to um, pass things off, deal with stunts, all of that sort of stuff, and, and set a good anchor on the inside, he's better suited for that sort of thing. And, and uh, you could say that about those other guys that we projected to kick inside
0: as well. Interesting. How about a second round, either guard or tackle, Landon Dickerson's I think is an interesting guy. There's a huge injury red flags with him. Any else? Anyone else that you guys really have – focused on in that, you know, 40 area in the second round that you think could be a really good offensive line value for the giants and multi-position flexibility, which I know is a big thing for you guys in general. It would also help in that regard. I think too.
1: Yeah. Elijah Vera Tucker is the guy that comes to mind right off the bat, especially when you start to mention versatility. So he's at the 6.8 grade level. Um, We we're not in the prediction game of where guys are going to get taken. But if he goes in the first round, okay, bless him. If he's there for the Giants in the second round, he's somebody that I, w- I would be salivating over at a USC. Talk about versatility. Uh, you talk about awareness, like we were just saying a minute ago, somebody that, that jumps out on the film, the football intelligence with him. Um, he's got uh, the versatility. So you think, again, another guy that can be really a five-position player on the offensive front. Um, he's fit in well in USC scheme. Um, an athletic guy, a guy with great body control, uh, somebody that uh, if he's still available there, I, I, he jumps off as a, as a guy that I'd be excited about. And
0: Dickerson's a really good player, right, as long as he's healthy, Landon Dickerson?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. When we looked at Dickerson, um, we, we grade these players based on um, their, their talent level. So we, we grade them based on how we see them. We try not to involve the, the, uh, the injury aspect into it too much. That's got to be a concern when you talk about him. Um, but, I mean, leave that to the doctors. In terms of the play on the field, absolutely
0: a guy, again, talk about versatility, somebody that, that can probably play multiple positions for you. All right, let's go to the defensive side of the ball. I'll leave the two big needs for second and third here. But another guy that you are a bit of an outlier on, and I love it, I want to know why. Micah Parsons, you think him he's more of a will than a Mike, which I know is different from some people. And you also don't even have him as your top will linebacker. Tell me why.
1: So, I mean, we have a decent grade on him. Uh, We think he's, we think he's a good player. It's probably a combination of us being a little bit higher on some other players. And, and that happens um, with us. Um, uh, I'm pulling up, I'm pulling up our reports right now to look at the guys that we have rated above him. uh, Just, just to jostle my memory. Sure. So uh, above him, uh, you look at Jeremiah Owosu-Karamoa out of Notre Dame. Um, he's the type of player that we think of as, as potentially um, the future of the Will linebacker position. One of these true overhang defenders who, when you look at the, the way that football is going these days and the way that, that uh, college football is trickling into the NFL, the sort of player with the versatility that he possesses, somebody that we really love. Uh, Dylan Moses, I wrote the report on. I'm way high on him compared to a lot of other people. He played injured last year uh, at Alabama and um, was not at his, at his full strength and speed. But when you talk about a player that can play in the box, can play in the slot, can play any position, if he can get to his full his full uh, range of athleticism from before his injury, uh, that, that's a scary type of player right there. Um, in terms of Parsons, it's not to say that, that we uh, dislike Parsons. We're a little bit less enamored, though, with guys that do more of their work in the box rather than on the back end. And we got concerned about the pass coverage ability. So I don't want to criticize him and make it out like we gave him a bad grade. We think he's a bad player. A 6-7 final grade is an indication that we think you're a starting level player in the NFL. Not just a starter, but a starter level on a Super Bowl level team, right? A starting level player. So he's a guy that you have to circle for his play speed, his range, his ability to do all those things in the run game that you look for but barely saw him play man coverage uh, at Penn state and in zone coverage, he was not a guy that stood out as being a, a real plus defender. So if you're not a plus player in the past game, it, it's hard for us to give you that, that transcendent level grade. He's right there
0: though, amongst the top wheels though. I'm not going to lie. But you would maybe put a little pause bond on him as high as 11 simply because and again, you're right. It's a passing lead. Now if you can't cover, you know, I think, picking in the top 15, if you're not going to help pass defense, then that might not, that might be a little bit too rich, right?
1: Yep. It's rich for me. Um, you know, uh, here I was a year ago saying that, that the giants were too high on Blake Martinez uh, and I wasn't a big believer on, on what he could do either. Blake Martinez outplayed my expectations this past year. So uh, you never know how, how they're going to perform until you, you unwrap the gifts and you, and you get to see how they play on the field. But um, uh, for me, 11 would be rich.
0: All right, let, let, let's go to cornerback, uh, man. And I think there are some guys at cornerback that maybe wouldn't be too rich at number 11, right? Oh, I mean, there's one guy that, that I think of
1: right away. Um, and then that's Patrick Sertan Jr., uh, Jr. the second, whatever you want to call him. Uh, <laughs> he's that guy for me. Um, you know, I grew up watching his father, Patrick Sertan Sr., and I'm probably biased in my eval eval because of, of the type of, of player that he was and, and what he was able to, to produce. But this is a, a guy that, when you watch him on film, he reminds you of his father in so many ways because Patrick Sertan Sr. was not a high draft pick because he was not a four three guy, and he was more of a technician and more of a, a guy that got by with physicality and instincts and intelligence and versatility. And uh, this is the second coming, if I've ever seen it. Um, he's been somebody that's played for three years at Alabama, true third-year junior, been, been a key part of their secondary the entire time. People are afraid to throw at him. Um, he did give up some uh, production. And, you know, if you look into his charting stats over, over the last year, there were times when they threw in his direction and they were able to get some production. But what you're talking about here is uh, production that's similar to when you would say Belichick would put his, uh, his, his best corner uh, on the solo side of the field and give double coverage on the other side to, to his, uh, that's what Sertan has been a lot in the, in the Alabama defense. So he's a guy, he performs well in man performs well in zone, you know, exactly what you're getting from a professionalism standpoint, not going to run the four three. um, But also we're not going to hold that against him. Like we did his father because um, we, we learned our lesson the first time,
0: hopefully. So I'd be excited about him at, at number 11. Allow me to slobber over Caleb Farley for a second. I have not seen a cornerback on tape, Matt, that gets beat over the top but can make up (laughs) the the distance that that the receiver gets separation on him. His closing speed is off the charts. If he can get that technical stuff worked out, and who knows what he's been doing the last year. He obviously opted out in the 2020 season. Is he the guy that you think might have the highest ceiling because of his raw physical tools?
1: Yeah, I mean, physically speaking, you're absolutely right. Uh, size, speed, and 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 not just uh, you know time speed metrics like that. Like you said, there are times where he got beat. There are times where he got turned around. There were times where, where he was out of position. And we're talking we're going back from film from his what from his true or his redshirt sophomore year. Um, so this isn't exactly him looking at him and comparing apples to apples when we compare him to guys that played in twenty to tw- in twenty twenty. But um, when he got into those situations, the ability to get himself out of jams, the looseness of his hips, um, that's something that you constantly come back to when you're evaluating corners because uh, guys that are tight in in the hips, even if you can run in a straight line, you're not going to be able to stay with people. Um, You you love the the play speed and the reactive athleticism that that Farley brings to the table. You mentioned what the concerns
0: are, but um, upside-wise, absolutely. Absolutely. How close do you have J.C. Horn to those two guys? And then just a follow up, how scheme specific are all three of those guys? Or can each guy do a little bit of everything?
1: Yep, we've got uh, J.C. Horn tied in terms of grades with Caleb Farley. So uh, Sertan's our number one rated guy. We've got a Pro Bowl level grade on him. Uh, we think that he's, his scheme versatility is really what sets him apart. Um, J.C. Horn, you talk about him, you talk about a, a guy with great productivity, uh, 99 rating in coverage this past year in terms of total points trading. So, um, you know, absolutely special in that regard. Prefer him in a press man scheme. That's where he really stands out. That's where he's really been productive. No NFL team is gonna mind that whatsoever. <laughs> um, if you can get guys that can do it, um, you're all about it. He's just got that physicality. Um, Farley, I think um, also you look at as somebody that is probably a little bit better suited to play man than play zone right off the bat. He's a little bit more uh, see ball get ball, um, and you don't want to complicate things too much, maybe right off the bat. But again, uh, I've seen too many times that that you take the projection and you think one thing based on the scheme that you're playing in in college, and all of a sudden you give them different coaching, and these guys are a whole different animal. So until you can really you know get them up on the board and understand what their understanding is of the different schemes, um, you know Steve Spagnolo had a way of being able to take things for. Um, he, he, could, he could have an idiot corner and be able to teach him how to make, play like a genius. Um, and that, that's what was special about Spags, what's still special about Spags to me uh, with these guys, sometimes taking what they've been in college and the way they're used, there can be holes in terms of being able to project that out.
0: Yeah. No, no question about it. How long can you wait, Matt, if you're looking for a true outside cornerback that can step in and help you right away does it have to be round two or can you maybe squeeze one out in the, on the top of round three?
1: I don't think you can wait until round three, one bit. Uh, you know, you can get lucky. You can find a zone corner if you're going to play a lot of cloud with somebody and be able to, to put them in situations to be successful. But if you're looking for somebody that that's really going to be able to be
0: uh, a number one, two or three corner, you got to go get them. Fair enough. Edge rusher. This is a fascinating group to me. First, Question. I'll ask anybody in this group at edge, in your opinion, a top 15 player in the class.
1: Um, if it's anybody, it's Jalen Phillips. Um, out of Miami. We, he's our good guy. Um, it would be a little bit rich for me there. Um, he's, we've got an injury flag on him as well, but um, he's somebody that we think is, is a, a good starting level player kind of across the board. Uh, excellent size got the prototypical kind of left defensive end type of ability. So uh, somebody that I scouted in the past when I was in, with New Orleans was, was Cam Jordan coming out. And that was really the, the, the thing that, that it was about him, was he wasn't going to be that freak edge rusher that you looked at as an ideal weak side, right defensive end. This is somebody that's more going to fit in on the left side, play over the tight end, be able to dominate the tight end, have length and strength to set the edge, and then also be a good pass rusher but probably not a perennial double-digit guy, anything like that. So if you can if you can adjust your your level of expectation, we do think he's got a, a, an excellent ability uh, to bend. And another guy, ninety-eight total points rating this uh, this past season. So uh, he's a really good player right there. Um, he'd be the first one I'd take off the board. But I, I'd hesitate with him or with with really anybody
0: else to to say a number, you know, up up hop that high that I'd be all about him. Yeah, and that's why I think the second round is an interesting landing spot for some of these edge guys. You know, Matt, people overdraft edge players because the position value is so high, right? And every one of these guys I'm going to list here, Aziz Ojolari, Og- smaller guy, didn't play every down. Quiddy Pay did not have a lot of production, only played five games this year. Uh, Jason Oway, he's going to run a 4-3-9, but the dude had zero sacks. Gregory Rousseau opted out, big specimen. Doesn't get off the line well. Got a lot of his sacks playing inside, not outside. Carlos Basham's a 280-pound defensive end. I mean, these guys are all, you know, there's something that you can have a legitimate question about. Is this really a boomer bust next group of guys where you're going to have one or two maybe really hit, but then the other guys, it just might not work out?
1: Yeah, I mean, the guy that comes to mind the way you're talking about it is, is Greg Rousseau. Um, Greg Rousseau, just uh, all kinds of every physical attribute that you can imagine. Um, but the ability to put it together, we just haven't seen it. And can we expect to have seen it? Like the last time we saw him play, he was like 19. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, somebody like that, absolute as boomer bust as they come. Uh, somebody like Rashad Weaver out of pit, I don't think is boom or bust at all um thinking back to last year he reminds me more of an, an AJ Epinesa type mm. somebody that you kind of know what he can do and you see the vision for what he can develop into a really good player right now really good college football player uh, 99 total points rating last year 98 the year before that plenty of sacks production behind the line of scrimmage good size uh, fairly scheme versatile um but um limited athletically in terms of I never expect him, like I said, I never expect him to be a double-digit sack guy perennial year in and year out on the NFL level. So you got to pick. Do you want the high end? Do you want that Rousseau who could be a, a freak-type player and really be transcendent but could flame out and be a huge bust? Do you want to go somebody a little bit safer who probably has a little bit less upside? Either way, if, if, if you didn't have any holes, you'd be a top-ten pick, right? So, uh, you know, that's why these guys are going to be available. I do think it's a good class in terms of the the top hundred depth guys you'll get in the second and third round. Across a lot of positions this year, the story is going to be pretty good depth in the top hundred players. When we get to day three, watch out. It's going to start to thin out really fast because of just the nature of this year's class with the players being able to go
0: back to school if they're not highly regarded. What positions do you think are really deep, Matt, that can really travel well into round three? Oh, uh,
1: you know, we just talked about a couple of them. I think edge for sure is one of those. Um, I think there's better linebacker depth this year than in some other years when you talk about that. Uh, there are several corners that, that, I would, that I would be thinking about in rounds two and three uh, that, that could ascend into, into being a number two, number three level guy in a couple of years. Um, and then uh, on the offensive side of the ball, uh, the running backs and, and the wide receivers, you could say it almost every year. Like I mentioned before, those guys, those are going to be depth positions, but the wide receivers in this year, there's, they're going to be more than one receiver per team drafted in this year's class. There's going to be more than 32 receivers that are
0: drafted this year. Uh, so when you talk about depth in a class. I mean, yeah, that's crazy. I, I hope this was enjoyable because I didn't have to ask you about quarterbacks until we're like 40 minutes into this thing. I'm sure that's what people always lead off with, right? Is this a deal, Matt, where these guys, much like in many years, are going to be overdrafted, or are there legitimately multiple? I mean, you know, Trevor Lawrence is the best. No one's going to even bother wasting time with him. But that next group, are these guys legitimate top 10, top 15 picks, or a teams going to be reaching a little bit, picking them that high if they do have quarterback needs?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, Justin Fields is our second-rated guy. For me, he's, he's a, a top pick uh, in a lot of drafts. Um, he's not as bulletproof. The floor is lower than Trevor Lawrence's floor, um, it just uh, in terms of what we've seen from him. Um, but the upside, I think, is arguably just as high. Um, this is somebody with incredible stature for the position. You don't worry about him taking a hit ever. Arm strength, um, accuracy. An ability to process that I think is underrated, and uh, you know what you get with him is a guy who on schedule is going to try to execute the play to the best the best of the offense's ability, and he was very productive doing that at Ohio State, obviously. But also somebody off schedule. We talk about the guys that we love in the NFL today: our Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson. The ability to do things off schedule. Uh, people might be critical of him for pulling the ball down too quickly. Most defenses that he faced were not critical of him for pulling it down too quickly. Uh, You you know, or, or they, they, they also were critical. I should say, because they would have rather he held the ball in the pocket and stay back there. He will make you pay. He's the sort of athlete. uh, You know, people don't think of Drew Brees as a great athlete, but one thing that that I learned from being around him was that he was such a good tennis player that he beat Andy Roddick in tennis in, in high school. Um, Wow. I didn't know that. Justin Field as an athlete, just stands out amongst players at Ohio state. I'm talking about Khalil Mack when he was with Buffalo and he had his best college football game was against Ohio state. You looked at him and he said, man, that guy looks like an NBA player playing with a bunch of college players out there. That's what you look at. When you see Justin Fields, he is an NBA player out there. He's your starting point guard. And uh, I'm very high on his upside. If he goes to a system like a Kyle Shanahan type offense where 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 you're uh, running a lot of bootleg play action, that sort of stuff, uh, I think the sky's the limit. If, if it's, uh, uh, you know, you get in the wrong system, I think it could be a problem. Zach Wilson is a guy who's right there for us. I think he's an excellent prospect too. My concern with him is, uh, is it a one year wonder? Mm. Uh, because it was a great year. It really was an outstanding year, but that offense might be a little bit fake this year. Um, he was not the same player before that. The release is there, the arm talent is there. Um, but they didn't play hardly anybody that was good this year. And um, their offense was a a work of art in terms of the way that they got people open and and allowed him to to have very easy progressions. So I like him too. I think he's a worthy top five pick, Um, but a little more of a question for me than, than fields. And then two more guys that I think are right there in the first round range, probably not in the top 10 grade range for me. We have a, a six, six final grade on them, which is kind of, uh, that fringe grade, uh, maybe more traditionally like a second round pick, but both Mac Jones who both, I'll separate them, but I'll, I'll mention them together. Mac Jones and Trey Lance couldn't be more different, but they're right next to each other for me on the scale. Mac Jones is a terrible athlete with incredible accuracy. He's way up there on all of our leaderboards in terms of what he did as a passer this year, but you almost never saw him perform under pressure at all. And you almost never saw him perform outside of the pocket, outside of that structure. Um, So he's not going to get the benefit of only seeing single high the way, if you look at Justin Herbert and the way he exceeded expectations, a big part of the reason why I'm so high on Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, their threat as runners forces the defense to have to play a certain way. It changes your box count. It changes your ability to play with two high safeties. Mac Jones gets none of the benefit of that. So that's going to be the difficulty for him at the same time. He's as well-suited as anybody to, to step right in, um, and play uh, basically immediately because um, his ability to process and, and all those things, uh, the clutch performance, the high level, that stuff's all there. Trey Lance, it's totally different. Uh, we saw one game this past year. We saw him play a ton in 2019. The stats are great. When you watch the film, it's a whole different story. Um, you're looking at a guy who has a running back. You're like, oh, wow, he's running these dudes over. Yeah, he's running uh you know, F- FCS players over, he's running lesser <laughs> competition over. So I think, I think uh, if he was a running back, I think he's draftable as a running back, to be honest, that's what you're talking about athletically when you talk about him, but of course he's not a running back. He's a, he's a passer and he's got arm talent. He's got a gun. Um, you see the act, he flashes accuracy. It's a little bit Josh Allen, like where you see that flash of a throw where you're like, Ooh, that throw was interesting but then you don't see him string it together. Um, Love from last year, Jordan Love, a little bit similar to that. You don't see him string it together as a passer. And there are a lot of questionable things from a processing standpoint, a quality of competition standpoint. So he's somebody that's the opposite of Jones because all the athleticism, all the upside, but please give him a year or two to develop and and create the right, or at least if you're going to use him in year one, it's got to be a a Jalen Hurts type of We're going to use him in this role and this role only
0: um, and build from there. All right. Final two questions, Matt, as a former NFL scout, and you're going into your war room to put this board together in the beginning and mid April, what are you most worried about in terms of having the right information on these players given all the COVID restrictions from not being at practice during the year on college campuses, to talking to people around the program in person, to not having combined testing numbers to use as a level comparison from testing number to testing number. What's front of mind for you? If you're back in the NFL and you're trying to put your final board together, knowing the limitations your scouting staff was under this year. It's an
1: excellent question. Um, I don't worry at all about combine numbers things like that. Um, I probably wasn't going to be too worried about those to begin with, because hopefully we've got better ways to quantify those sort of things at this point. And if anything, I'm disappointed that the other teams won't have the smoke screen that, that some of those numbers provide to to lead them astray. Um, The thing that I'm most concerned about is the thing that I'm most concerned about every year. (laughs) Injuries. No, it's not injuries. Although the medical (laughs) evaluation is going to be top of mind for sure. The thing that I'm most worried about every year is how well am I understanding the risk associated with each of these players? Because this year, it's obvious that there's a heightened level of uncertainty compared to a regular year, right? We know less than we know in a regular year. How much less is hard to say, but we can't even begin asking the question or answering the question of how much less this year has certainty compared to another year until we understand in a typical year, how certain we can be about this. So I'm an advocate of usually trading down more than trading up. That's not to say that's a hard and fast philosophy, but I find that when you do that, you give yourselves more chance to draft more players that you have good evaluations on rather than having fewer chances at players, maybe that you had a little bit of a higher evaluation on. You you just give yourself more chances to be right, or you thought you were going to be right because I'm telling you when you when you get later in the draft as you go through the rounds you'll have more and more players that you graded higher that are still available just by the nature of the draft by the nature of uncertainty that increases as you go through the rounds so you need to understand how uncertain the draft is to begin with in order to have any idea of how to how to quantify things this year so the thing that I'm most concerned about is not thinking, that I'm smarter than everybody else, that, that understanding not that oh, this year, it's the uncertainty is just through the roof. And so we have to throw it all out the window, but understanding what certainty is in a usual year, what, what certainty is this year and using uh, the market against itself
0: and beating the market through that. If you didn't know that Matt was trained under a Bill Belichick system, like you mentioned earlier in the show, you know now because that is the Patriot way, man. <laughs> Maximize <laughs> your swings at the plate. The comp picks came out again. And the Patriots are on the top of the comp pick list that every single round again, man. They just get swings the, and swings and swings. We called the Giants
1: way he came up, you know, with the Giants or or maybe even the Navy way if we want to go Steve Belichick. <laughs> uh,
0: anything but the Patriots way. It just doesn't have the. Ugh. I know it really doesn't, but it, look it and. It's, there, there, there's a lot to be said for, him, no question. All right, final question, the most important one, man.
1: Eli's way, Eli's way is the right way to put it.
0: Well, especially when you're facing the Patriots, no question about yeah, that. Yeah, that's <laughs> daddy, right? No question. All right, final question, most important one. Tell the people where they can find your great draft guide. I appreciate that.
1: Uh, the Football Rookie Handbook is available wherever you get books. The best place to get it; it'll be shipped quickly, is at actasports.com. That's actasports.com. That's straight through our publisher. Uh, they'll send you some, some free gifts along with it too. So um, you can get the hard copy there. It's a, it's As you mentioned, it's 700 pages paperback, over 300 scouting reports, different analytics, uh, team page breakdowns for each NFL team. It's all in there. Um, and then this year, we have something new. Uh, we figured not everybody wants to put 700 pages in their pocket. So we put it on a Kindle. Um, there's an ebook version this year. Whether you get a Google Books or uh, Amazon Kindle, uh, wherever you want to do it, you can you can uh, get the e version of the book, fit it on your cell phone, um, so wherever you want to go to have the the most up to date uh, information about the prospects. It's fun to read it now. It's fun to have by your side as the draft is going, um, and you can you can check out each of the players as they reel off the board. Um, and it's something that I think you'll find constantly referring back to during the season as, as there's a new rookie cropping up that you're saying, Oh, I don't know this guy. What's he doing? Then you check back on the, on the football rookie handbook. It's the stats. It's the uh, it's the scouting.
0: Um, and we make you the GM. Yeah. Just to give people an idea, each major prospect, each spot position, will get a full page of just like a scouts report, which is all text giving you what they do well, what they do poorly in each facet of the game. And then the second page will give you the counting stats. But then more importantly, all the rankings and analytics and stuff like that, that really you guys are exclusive to and you do it your own way, right?
1: Yep. This is, uh, this is our proprietary stuff. We spend, we have a, a four scouts watch every game that gets played in the NFL and in the college football FBS. So over 40 hours per game devoted to charting each of the game, we're charting hundreds and hundreds of data points. We have full auditing processes and really the core of our business is for the teams, Uh, We serve NFL teams. We provide this information to the teams uh, throughout the year to help them make the best decisions. The football rookie handbook um, is just um, the the little bit that we can do to try to make this available. You know, just this tiny little 700 page snapshot at the sort of information that that, that we provide. So uh, nothing brings you closer to being the GM. Uh, Tom Telesco, I don't know anybody who had a better draft than him last year, picking up Justin Herbert. Um, He made a great pick there he uh, he's on the back cover of our book this year, complimenting the work that we did last year, uh, being able to provide the scouting, the analytics all in a concise package
0: for you. Um, And really that's what we try to do. We try to make you the GM. Matt, great stuff. We really appreciate it. Let's do it again, right up against the draft. Maybe you can hear some from the old scouting buddy, share some secrets with us. All right, pal. Yeah, I'd love to. As Matt Matticharian again, he runs the football side of the business over at sports information solutions, the SIS football rookie handbook, go get it. It's fantastic. We thank Matt for joining us. And just a reminder, you can find the Giants Hotel Podcast on the Giants Podcast Network presented by Investors Bank at Giants.com slash podcast on the Giants mobile app and all your favorite podcast platforms. For Matt, I'm Schmelt, Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time, everybody.